Thinking back to our, our Old Testament reading, the, the story that came out of Noah's Ark, I feel like Noah's Ark is, is probably one of those stories that as I uh, go through life and get to different ages, it, it seems to be a different story to me each time. Uh, I remember as a kid sitting on my grandmother's lap and as she had one of those children Bible stories, I loved the story of Noah's Ark. Because it had all these pictures of all these different animals. And you probably even have the visual of just a little boat with all these animals randomly sticking out of the top of the boat. And I love that story. And it was one that I would ask my grandmother to tell me over and over again. And as I got into my teens and, and uh, you know, going through what teens go through, began to become more skeptical of, of some sort of story that, that might be like this. And then as I got into my 20s where I could easily be offended by everything and find myself the defender of everybody, really questioning and wondering how could a God that calls himself loving do a story like this? And now that I'm someone who's in his 30s, not that that's that old, uh, but someone who has a child that now sits on my lap, and now reads a children's Bible story. It's began to take on a different meaning of itself. To where suddenly it goes from a story that is just a little child's fable to a story that causes questions to one that causes outrage in my heart to a story now that actually talks about life meaning something. That our God does not actually stomach the way we can treat each other. And that after the world comes out of this flood, he says, you are worth something. If someone sheds your blood, the judgment will come from me. But then it also means something even greater and even more than that. First Peter writes out of chapter 3, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, being made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, only eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. A story of out of death comes life. Out of destruction comes hope. Where there once was nothing, there is now something. We have lived that in our own lives. We have had the things of our life torn down many, many times. We have had our church go through the same. We have had our families experience the same. But out of destruction, God promises that there is life. And He has made this promise true to you. He has made it 
where you go through water just as Noah and the eight, and you come to life. I've shared this story before in uh, a sermon or two, but I, I'm banking on people sleeping, so I'll tell it again. <laughs> John Stott, one of, uh, one of my favorite preachers and theologians, told the story of, of uh, a man who had his daughter baptized, and later in the afternoon he saw his, his other child, his son, playing in a puddle with his, his teddy bear. And he kept dunking his teddy bear in the puddle and wondering what possibly might be going on and thinking it might have something to do with this uh, baptism they just saw. He wanted to hear what was being said. So he, the man creeped up to his son and, and he heard him saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and into the hole he goes. <laughs> I hope you're not offended by that. (laughs) But what a clear and descriptive way to really talk about baptism. To talk about how in baptism we have been put to death. There was a destruction at this point in time. a, A hole that we were going down. But what the part that was destroyed and left behind was the identities of the past was the holds that the world had on us, was the flesh, was the things in our own life that causes us to want to go and to not just destroy ourselves, but destroy others. What went down that hole was the very thing that causes the harm, the murder, the anger in our hearts. And what comes out of it is a resurrection, is a new life. Putting to death the flesh and being born of the Spirit. So that those things of our past are clearly and finally left behind. The haunting ghosts that love to follow us around no longer hold the bars on our life so that we are no longer remembered or defined by those things but are risen to a new life in Jesus Christ. A life where love is its foundation. A life laid before us by the humility of Christ and granted to us through His death so that we, we will know no final death, but only know resurrection. So these identities, these things of the past, they, they, they die there with the flesh. Like the world that was destroying itself died in the flood. Like Elijah, who looking at his own life, found himself to be just like everybody else and chasing after all the same things. But once God spoke to him, found himself living something new. Like Paul, who breathed out anger and hatred and even murder upon the saints. 
but upon hearing the word of Christ, became somebody new. Not calling for murder and death, but calling for life and love. Like you. Someone who is found to be dead. Someone who is found in a world full of destruction. A world that seems to be trying to destroy itself. Either through politics or economics or war. You are someone who have now given life. Because we have this good shepherd. We have this one who has called himself the shepherd that is actually willing to lay down his life for us. To hand it all over and, and, and give us everything and him becoming nothing. Now we, we as Lutheran Christians are are very good at just stopping there. Kind of with this mentality that Jesus has died for me and and now my duty is just to kind of hang on until He comes back or I'm called home. But we know that that's not the way He talks about it. That the shepherd actually talks about leading His sheep and people following His voice. Something the world rejects as, as nonsense. Why would we want to follow anybody? Well, we would want to follow Him because He's the only one who is willing to do something that nobody else would. To give over Himself. To shepherd us, not just meaning us following blindly, but us being people who are protected by Him. Our Gospel reading started with a very strange phrase that is hard for us to really understand where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He calls everybody who came before him thieves and robbers, and I would dare say anybody who came after him not bearing his name as thieves and robbers. But to understand that, we have to read a little bit before that section in chapter 10 where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. For us who have been born new, who have had that world destroyed, any voice that comes from that history trying to haunt us by the mistakes of the past, trying to define us by the things that we once were, is nothing but a thief and a robber. It holds no sway in our life now. You are somebody new. You are somebody who's been raised in Christ, and that is who you are. Those voices of the past, those addictions, those ways of who we once were are nothing more than thieves and robbers, but by the voice that we follow now, we can call them as such and leave them behind. 
I heard a story the other day about a, a jazz drummer here in the Seattle area, a guy by the name of Paul Wager. Paul is a... <laughs> My sermons have such an effect. <laughs> Paul, Paul Wager is someone who, uh, as a jazz drummer, struggled uh, to get going, but ma- started to make a name for himself, where he, he played with some really amazing top-notch names, uh, ones who would come through the area and he'd be able to play with them. He played with blues and jazz. He played with B.B. King, people of this nature. One day when he was about 50, he had a stroke. And it was a very slight and, and a very minor stroke. Um, he seemed to be able to get up and walk and, and talk just fine. It wasn't until he sat down at his drum set that he found the effects of his stroke. As he started to try and keep a beat, which if any of you listen to jazz, you know how hard that can be. He couldn't do it. He lost his time. And so he'd sit there for hours trying to get it back and he'd, he'd call over his friends from his bands and try and play with them, and it just never came back. It's been 17 years since his stroke, and he still has not found his time. But every day, he gets up out of habit, and he goes and he sits down at his drum set, trying to get it back. The person interviewing asked him, Today, after I'm talking with you, are you going to go home and sit down at your set? And he said, yes. Yes, I am. She asked, how do you identify yourself? He said, as a drummer. Paul knows he has no hope of ever getting back the drumming skills. But for a time of his life, he had poured everything he was into that drum set. And once it was gone, he spent the rest of his life wishing for it to come back. It's that kind of thinking. It's that kind of hope that was put to death here. We've left behind so many things that call out to us that often mean nothing. And we have been raised to a new life, to where we can actually be called living in the midst of death, to where next week when we gather even to mourn the loss of our sister, we don't mourn as people without hope. We mourn as people who know that she is still living. It's not death that defines her, but life in Christ. The same identity that you have now. Freeing us. Giving the very meaning of freedom. Of letting go all those other identities that have just left us empty. And oftentimes have left us mourning for their loss. You are somebody new. You are someone who has come out of death to life, out of destruction to hope. You are someone who is living. Amen?